The day may come when we will need to implement such measures in the U.S. community. It's not so much a question of if this will happen anymore, but rather more a question of exactly when this will happen and how many people in this country will become infected. It looks like they're getting it under control more and more. They're getting it more and more under control. So I think that's a problem that's going to go away. This is Dr. Keith. As you know, or probably know, I'm an ER doctor. I never talked about this. Um, well, I just got started, so I guess this never really come up until now. But my wife has an MPH, that's a master's in public health, from Rollins School of Public Health at Emory University, where the CDC campus is. My wife was echoing the same sentiment since December. She was saying that the schools were going to be closed, and why don't they just close them? And why is everybody still going to work? How could my wife, this CDC official, and so many other people have known this was coming and we still be so unprepared? Let's dive in. is now striking the front line of defence. Doctors, nurses and healthcare workers now make up a quarter of all victims. And SARS is becoming more aggressive. The, number the head of the World Bank is warning that a prolonged outbreak could ruin economies in the Asia region. Fear of how bad the problem might become is clear. That we're not dealing with just a blip on the radar screen. But as Dr Gerberding says, we're not really sure where it's going to go because we are truly in the middle of the evolution of, a, of an epidemic. The Centers for Disease Control reports the deadly MERS virus has reached the United States. Last month, an American man traveled from Saudi Arabia to Indiana via London and Chicago. He was admitted to a hospital suffering from shortness of breath, coughing and fever, and diagnosed with Middle East Respiratory Syndrome, MERS for short. Previously, MERS had been found in a dozen countries, all in the Middle East and Europe. A Lunar New Year like no other. The streets of Wuhan almost deserted, a city with a population close to that of Ontario where no one is allowed to leave. Most residents are doing as advised, staying indoors. Or they are stretching the resources of Wuhan's hospitals. This footage appears to show bodies lying next to patients being treated. That is why Chinese authorities are keen to show off this remarkable construction project. They're building a thousand-bed hospital in one week. I'm here to discuss our strategy to prevent and protect the American people from a possible outbreak. The President's made perfectly clear that our number one priority is in the event of a pandemic is to save lives. The president has a plan uh, to do just that. First, we must detect outbreaks that occur anywhere in the world. Second, we must protect the American people by stockpiling vaccines and antiviral drugs and improve our ability to rapidly produce new vaccines against a pandemic strain. The Bush administration in 2006 developed a national strategy for pandemic influenza, which I'll place a link for in the description. It's essentially a global stepwise approach to getting ahead of pandemics before they reach our shores, 
before they get out of hand, as well as a preparedness plan for caring for those that get sick. 15 years ago, an American infectious diseases expert predicted a global pandemic like coronavirus would cause pretty much everything that we're currently living through. Dr. Michael Osterholm outlined the battle plan to get through it in his book, Deadliest Enemy, Our War Against Killer Germs, set to be re-released next week. Dr. Osterholm, you've been warning about a pandemic for more than a decade. Well, I think, first of all, we really lack creative imagination. And what I mean by that is no one could have envisioned, they, so they say, all the constellation of things that have happened here, not just the, a, a virus crossing from an animal to a human, but that the worldwide transmission, uh, the impact that it has on healthcare, uh, the fact that it also shuts down our global economy. And ironically, those are things we actually published back in 2005. Uh, I actually I theorized that this virus would show up in China, that uh, it would start outbreaks there that would be severe spread around the world, uh, that uh, we would see the kind of shutdown of the global economy as we've seen, that it would overrun our hospitals, intensive care units in many areas of the world. Uh, and then unfortunately, the part where the chapter diverges right now is not really, a, a, in a sense, a difference. It's the fact that it just carries it out for what will likely be at least 16 to 20 months of ongoing. There may and likely will come a time in which we have both an airborne disease that is deadly. And in order for us to deal with that effectively, we have to put in place an infrastructure not just here at home, but globally, that allows us to see it quickly, isolate it quickly, respond to it quickly. Crops up five years from now or a decade from now, we've made the investment. And we're further along to be able to catch it. It is a smart investment for us to make. In 2014, President Obama expanded on the pandemic response team and took also a very global approach to the preparedness for a global pandemic in response to the Ebola crisis. A global pandemic response team was established. It's been well documented how the current administration went about immediately destroying the global pandemic response team upon their arrival to the White House. Take responsibility, but you did disband the White House pandemic office. Okay. Does this experience at all give you pause about the No, because we, we can get money and we can increase staff. We know all the people, we know all the good people. It was a question I asked the doctors before. Uh, some of the people we cut, they haven't been used for many, many years. And if we, they, if we ever need them, we can get them very quickly. And rather than spending the money, and I'm a business person, I don't like having Thousands of people around when you don't need them. When we need them, we can get them back very quickly. It's an unforeseen problem, not a problem. This is a very unforeseen thing. There's never been a thing like this in the history of the world. It's something that just surprised the whole world. Yep, the whole world. Except the U.S. intelligence community, the CDC, the Pentagon, Trump's own freaky trade advisor, and about a thousand movies, including two starring Brad Pitt. <laughs> the idea that this kind of came out of the blue is insane. Tens of thousands of people are going to die because they did not bother to learn about how the Obama administration prepared for a pandemic. This yeah. meeting that had been staged between outgoing Obama cabinet officers and incoming Trump cabinet officers, where they played a, a little tabletop game where they prepared for a pandemic. And during this game, Wilbur Ross, incoming Secretary of Commerce, fell asleep. 
was snoring. You, you know, it's funny. One answer is it, it, knowledge makes life complicated. If you've got some very simplistic view of the world, the government's all stupid. It's all a bunch of poorly paid bureaucrats. I don't need to pay any attention to them. Um, it's easier to, to move through the world if you aren't bothered by lots of knowledge. And I do think of Donald Trump as the ultimate expression of the desire to remain ignorant. Today, the greatest risk of global catastrophe doesn't look like this. Instead, it looks like this. If anything kills over 10 million people in the next few decades, it's most likely to be a highly infectious virus rather than a war. Not missiles, but microbes. So next time, we might not be so lucky. Uh, you can have a virus where people feel well enough while they're infectious that they get on a plane or they go to a market. In fact, let's look at a model of a virus uh, spread through the air uh, like the Spanish flu uh, back in 1918. So here's what would happen. It would spread throughout the world very, very quickly. And you can see there's over 30 million people die from that epidemic. So this is a serious problem. Hell is coming, okay? And I, I felt, you know, it's really, I've never had this experience before in my life. The closest I had was the financial crisis where I'm saying, you know, things are coming, <laughs> bad stuff's coming. Um, but this was a feeling like I've never had, like there's a tsunami coming, right? The tsunami's coming in, you feel it in the air. Now, where do we go from here? This will pass. We as a nation, as a planet, as a human species, will get through this. We'll get through it at a greater cost than was necessary to endure. But the ultimate question is this. After this is all over, after we get back to our normal lives, after the COVID crisis is a memory and not our daily reality, do we and our elected leaders, both here and abroad, make it a priority to create a worldwide systemic response to infectious disease outbreaks so that we do not have to go through this shutting down our world and losing so many of our loved ones to the next contagion. An effective response is going to require multinational cooperation, transparency, and leaders that shun nationalist agendas so that we can work together as a human race. Because the imaginary man-made lines that divide us are just that, imaginary. Don't forget to subscribe to be notified when we drop new Dr. Keith episodes. And please post any questions you have about this episode or any other medical questions in the comments.